0: I would like to begin this podcast by acknowledging Australia's traditional owners, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. I pay my respects to Elders past and present. I am personally committed to listening, learning, understanding and supporting reconciliation and self-determination. Together, let's honour the world's oldest living cultures and their significance in our shared future. Welcome to Weekend Better. I'm your birdwatching buddy, Kirsty Costa. Last summer, I opened the cover of the book *Curlews on Vulture Street*. I got so sucked into that story that I ended up finishing it in two days. It was truly a delight from beginning to end. So imagine my excitement when the book's author accepted an invite to come on the show. Meet Daryl Jones. Writer, speaker, researcher, mentor, ecologist, and professor at Griffith University.
1: That remember a time when I wasn't interested in birds. They were just everywhere. I lived on a farm for the first nine years of my life, as I explain in my book, Curlers and Vulture Street, and there were birds everywhere and I was a lone kid, you know, with no one else to play with and I didn't know that I was lonely. I wasn't lonely. I just wandered around the bush nearby and the, the animals that were there were, were just this, the part of the background and so it wasn't a kind of, oh, look, wildlife. I didn't ever think that way. It was just these were the other things that I could deal with and look at and enjoy and all that sort of stuff. So I was, I was a wildlife observer before I even thought about it. There wasn't much else to do except to you know live in an imagi- imaginary world and, and then notice the birds and animals and things that were around me. So it was happened pretty organically, really. And then it was only later that I realised that not everybody did the same sort of thing, they had the same sort of background, because I just always noticed that they were there.
0: Darrell has had a career in urban ecology that spans over 30 years. Urban ecology focuses on the relationship between living organisms in cities and in other urban environments, such as studying the ways that humans and birds interact. Darrell explains that urban ecology is a reasonably new area of science. You'd
1: almost think, and in fact I was told distinctly, that there couldn't be such a thing as urban ecology because urban means city and city means no nature. And there's no, you know, nothing wild or natural about cities. They're the epitome of the opposite, really. And I thought that was a load of rubbish right from the beginning because there was always animals wherever I've been, no matter how big the city, there's always some animals there. So at a very early stage, I was aware that the places where people lived also, certain animals also lived. And I was always intrigued about why some made it and some didn't. And I'm proud to say I was kind of a bit of a pioneer because when I did my honours in 1979, that's how old I am, I did a a study of the birds of my country town, Wagga Wagga in New South Wales. And that, I didn't know at the time, was the first urban bird study ever done in Australia. Tried to be talked out of it by my supervisors and people of the university where I was because they just went, what are you doing there's no point in doing this. The philosophy at the time was there's no nature in, in cities. And even if there is, it's totally, if you like, tainted by humans. You know, If you want to understand ecology, and I was, an, I was co- an ecologist, you have to go to places where there is no influence by people at all. That's why ecologists put their backpacks on and disappeared into the jungle somewhere and away from people. Now, we now know, you know in this era of the Anthropocene that that's a completely futile exercise. Influence of humans is literally everywhere. You know, From the middle of Antarctica, there's some sort of evidence of people doing things. It was a lonely while because, I mean, urban ecology is pretty mainstream these days, but when I started way back then, it was, it was completely, not, if it wasn't just trivialized, it was ridiculed in a sense. What's the point of knowing about magpies or ibis scavenging food? How can that be of any point at all? And um, thankfully, those days are now, you know, there's, there's urban ecologists everywhere. And there was plenty of times when I thought, have I made a really big mistake here? But there's so much to do, so many things to know. And I still, to this day, am intrigued by why do some animals absolutely thrive in the city and the majority of them absolutely don't? So when we build a city in a suburb. We pretty much obliterate all the natural features, but some animals can come back. And so they're very, very special animals. And they're the ones that i have been spending my whole whole career looking at and trying to understand how they do it so well.
0: Daryl's new book, Getting to Know the Birds in Your Neighbourhood, is the first complete beginner's field guide to the birds that you are most likely to see in the towns and cities of Australia. You might be thinking to yourself, we don't need another field guide. There are already plenty out there. Daryl says that his book is a little bit different and is especially for people who are curious about the urban birds around them or who are new to birdwatching.
1: Most of these bird books have all the birds in Australia, you know, 790 or whatever it is. So when you see a honey eater that you have never seen before, and you go and you don't know much about it, but you go, I wonder what that bird was, you're confronted with 25 pages of birds that look almost identical, and you think, where do I even begin? And that's because all the birds in Australia are all there. But you'll never see all the birds in Australia unless you're a mega twitcher. Wherever you live, there'll only be a subsection of them. This book, it's for people who are just learning how to notice birds. And of course, we're a very urbanised country, so 80% of us live in 20 cities. And so what this book does is it has all the birds which are the most likely birds that you will see around you in the cities of Australia, and that's nearly everybody. We really tried hard to make sure that it works in Darwin and Cairns, as well as Hobart and Perth and Albury and Sydney and Brisbane and Melbourne. So no matter where you live in a city, the birds that you are likely to find and see are the birds in that book. And so that makes it immediately much easier to deal with. The other thing is, you know, a lot of people who know nothing about birds will say, I don't know anything about birds, I don't know where to begin. But they do know the difference between a parrot and a duck and a swan they know the general kinds of things and and the good thing about that is they tend to be the families of birds so right at the beginning of the book all the families are there and you think well i think it was a kind of a duck or was it a goose there are the ducks and the geese and you can turn to those pages and there'll just be a small number of them with a beautiful color photograph and some details about what's going on and and so some things to make sure that you identify the, the bird correctly some details are the key things to look for not all the technical details but just enough for you to go yep that's it for sure i'm you know really certain now that that's what it is and then you can learn a bit more about it interesting stuff about how it makes a living whether it interacts with people very much and so you know these are all city birds in a sense so they're going to have some sort of relationship with with people that might not be a very obvious one it's getting to know them it's like learning who your neighbors are and that's More than just ticking off the box of what the species is, we call ourselves bird watchers, but a lot of us don't watch very carefully. So I guess the, the, the sickle thing to some I'm going to tell people is we want you to watch the bird. When you see a bird, you can work out what it is and then watch what it does. And that will open up a whole new world of fascinating stuff. Costa has got a quote on the front cover, which is, this will make you addicted to birds. And I hope that's true because no matter where you go, in the world, you will find birds and they'll be, some of them will be familiar, some of them won't be, but you can still be curious and find out about them wherever you are. That's the idea.
0: I can personally vouch for what Daryl is saying about getting to know the birds in your neighbourhood. I've tested it out while birdwatching, and what I like about it is the use of silhouettes to more easily identify a bird by size. There are some simple descriptions about where a bird lives, its behaviour, similar looking species and how it might interact with humans. I've been seeing a lot of black-faced cuckoo shrikes on my walks, and Daryl's book has really helped me get to know this bird better. Cuckoo shrikes are neither cuckoos nor shrikes. They got their name because their feathers have similar patterns to a cuckoo, and their big shape resembles that of a shrike. In his book, Daryl explains that the black-faced cuckoo shrike is the most urban of Australia's four cuckoo shrikes. It lives in wooded habitats across Australia and also in the suburbs, where it often can be seen perched on overhead wires or television aerials. This cuckoo shrike is also well known for its complex, melodious, trilling call. You can identify the black-faced cuckoo shrike by looking for its pale grey body feathers and the black feathers on its face. Daryl's book also includes some fun facts. For example, I didn't know that the black-faced cuckoo shrike is also known as the shuffle wing, shuffling its wings when it lands. There was one particular fun fact that surprised the heck out of Daryl when he was writing his book.
1: I'm an urban ecologist specialising in birds, right? You think, there won't be many surprises for me. So from the nearly, whatever, nearly 800 birds, you know, we had to we'd break it down. We couldn't have all the birds because lots and lots of birds are living in the desert or a sub-Antarctic island or somewhere where people aren't going to see them. So there's a lot of, I'll call it, Debate from the people who lived in either Brisbane, Sydney, or Melbourne, where, where my, my main ornithological colleagues were, who discussed this with me. And, and so we, we got it down to 139. Just, you know, that's a, not a very round figure, but that was 139 birds, the common birds found in all those cities, the biggest 20 cities. Because so it goes from Darwin to Hobart, from Perth to Cairns, I mean, across the whole continent. And I thought, I wonder if there's, I mean, there'll be a couple, but I wonder how many birds there are which occur in most of those cities. Do you know what? There are 34 species which occur in every single city that we've covered. We've got 20 cities, starting with Sydney, the biggest, and going to, I think it's all Albirudonga is the last, the 20th one. So they cover the whole range, lots of regional places. But there are 34 species found in Every single one of those cities, so in the steaming tropics and the freezing cold cobalt winters, there are birds that can cope with all of that sort of stuff. so that immediately tells you something about how resilient and adaptive birds can become, because if you can cope with such extreme differences in temperature and climate and you know everything else, that means that you are a, you know you've got some characteristics that are likely to mean. Yeah, you can cope with pretty much anything. And they're the, they're the birds that, we, you know, that have been successful and live among us. I should have known that and I would never have dreamt. I thought half a dozen, but not 34. You know, that's a big proportion of the birds that are there, you know, 20% or something. So that, that's probably the biggest shock that I had.
0: Read the book to find out what those common birds are. I won't ruin it for you. If you're listening to this episode the week that it goes live, search for Weekend Better on Instagram for a chance to win yourself a copy of Darrell's book. I've got two to give away. I fell in love with birds in my neighbourhood during the first COVID lockdown in Melbourne in 2020, and I wasn't the only one. We've heard from other weekend birder guests, like Peter Murphy in episode 12 and Liz Hackett in episode 47, that the first few years of COVID was a time when many people connected with their local birds.
1: It was known that lots of people discovered birds, bought binoculars and bird books, and, and started getting interested in bird watching. And we wondered, wonder whether that extends to bird feeding as well, and it absolutely does. One of my other big research topics, which is unavoidable if you live in cities, is feeding birds. So I've always been interested in that. So as well as buying the bucklers and the bird books, people went out and bought feeders all around the world. There's a handful of countries which you know lots of feeding occurs, but we had no idea that we found 115 countries where interest in bird feeding just rose like exponentially in the couple of weeks after that people were locked down, wherever they were in the world. So there's a massive and global interest in bird feeding. Millions, literally millions of people discovered birds all around them, in their backyard, in the park across the road, for the first time. They kind of never really took any notice of them before. And then they went, isn't that amazing? There's all these birds. A huge number of people have told me, you know, because of my interest in this stuff, they've said to me, it's amazing, you know, when COVID happened, all these birds moved into my backyard. Well, no, the birds were always there. They, you just didn't notice. You were too busy. You are rushing off to work or school or wherever you were. So that was really important to, for people to realize, no, they were already there. But here you are. You can now notice them and, and enjoy them. And there they are, you know, right in your backyard. So bird watching is, is great. It's, the, it's probably the simplest way to connect with nature and we now know there's a just a gigantic amount of really strong evidence scientifically proven evidence of the benefits of mental health and 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 physical health and just general well-being for humans of some sort of connection with nature it could be at the most you know trivial as a pot plant or the sound of the birds in the trees across the street or something all the way down to, you know, walking through a forest. Those kinds of things have demonstrable positive effects on people's well-being. So bird feeding was one example um, where that's a really, really intimate way of directly being involved. But you don't have to feed them. You know, you can just see them. The book has got a number of essays. There's things like how to get birds to come to your place and how to in, you know, increase the, the diversity around the place. If you find out a little bit more about the birds, you'll want to know more and more and more and more. You'll appreciate them. You'll want to protect them. You'll want to you know, enjoy them as much as possible. you want to see more birds. This will have a life-changing effect on you, and that's what we hope.
0: I promise that I didn't ask Daryl to talk about bird watching and well-being. It just keeps coming up as a topic in Series 2 of Weekend Birder, perhaps because we are more aware of mental and physical health after the last few years and are thinking about what tools we can use to have a good quality life. Speaking of good quality life, if you are someone who feeds wild birds, take a look at the show notes or visit the Weekend Birder website for links to Daryl's articles and books. This will ensure that you don't overfeed your local birds or make them dependent on you. He also has some advice about how to avoid feeding magpies, beef or pork mince, which actually makes them sick. Daryl has recently moved from Australia to a new country. He's been getting to know the urban birds in his new neighbourhood.
1: Yes, yeah, so I'm living in Kuala Lumpur, which is the capital of a big Asian city, the capital of Malaysia. Um, it's on the peninsula part of Malaysia. The, there's also parts of Malaysia on Borneo, two of the states over there. But I'm on the peninsula, which juts down from Thailand and heads down towards Indonesia and Bali and all those sorts of places. And Kuala Lumpur is a big city, inland, inland a bit, uh, and it's surrounded or, and interspersed with fairly big, prominent hills. The most important thing about it is it's not just continuous sprawl. There's lots of really large patches of bush. Now, in this part of the world, we're four degrees north, so it's tropical. It's absolutely equatorial. When you say bush here, you mean jungle. You mean well, tropical rainforest. Unfortunately for my wife, we chose to live at a place really close to one of these wonderful parks called Kiara. It means she's got a fairly big hike to get to work, but it's still a wonderful place to live and it's worth it. Five minutes walk and I'm in the, in the jungle. It's fantastic.
0: I've put a link to the book at Tiara Reserve if you're interested in visiting Kuala Lumpur. In the last episode of Weekend Birda, Hugh Possingham talked about Australia's 20 robin species, which are part of the larger 50 species in the Australasian robin family. He said that hardly any robins go across Wallace's line. Let's find out from Daryl what Wallace's line is.
1: Russell Wallace came up with a a line that was, on one side of it, it runs between Bali and Lombok and goes up towards the Philippines. One side of it, you've got all the Australian things. You've got kangaroo type things and possums and gliders and cockatoos and acacias and all the Australian things that we regard as totally Aussie. You cross the line and you've got none of that. You've got pheasants and tigers and hornbills and woodpeckers and all those kinds of things, a completely different set of things. So when I go out walking, I see a totally, totally different set of of birds. Instead of honey eaters, there's no honey eaters here, but there are the nearest equivalent are called bulbul. And we've got an introduced one, Somewhere in Australia called the red Red Whiskered Bullble I think it is it's an introduced one you know when you look at an Australian bird book, there's sixty pages of honey there's like equivalent number of of baubles. I think on a daily walk, I can see nine species of boreblebs just without any any hesitation. The other thing I've had to to learn is that there are miners everywhere i can I would see four at least species of miners, and I have to tell myself it's all right. they come from here. <laughs> Instead of being immediately filled with rage when you see a common miner. Now, that's all right. They, they're, all, they're all supposed to be here. Everybody knows the personality of a miner, but that helps them survive. They're really abundant, successful urban birds. They've done the same job as successful urban birds everywhere. They've moved in, started eating human food, all that kind of stuff. And they're very smart, very clever, and very interesting. They've got so many calls. And for the first six months, I would say, Oh, no, no, bird. You know, I don't remember seeing that. And I'd go out and it'd be one of the miners doing some crazy call that certainly sounded like any of the other calls. My absolute favorite bird, and of course you don't get them in the middle of the city, are the hornbills. On my arm here, I've now got a hornbill tattoo because I was lucky enough to go, for eight years, I took students to Malaysian Borneo and deep into the jungle there and we would see hornbills every day, like four or five species, including the largest one, well, not the largest one, the most spectacular one. The rhinoceros hornbill, one of my favorite birds. Unfortunately, we don't get any hornbills in koala it's a bit too big for them. But what I do see often, almost every time, are at least two or three species of woodpecker. Yeah, woodpeckers, they're just so bizarre. You know, they bash their heads against the wood. You think they'd give themselves brain injuries, but clearly they don't. Um, I think that's probably the most special thing that I see on a fairly regular basis, the woodpeckers.
0: Oh man, I really want to go to Malaysia now to see those hornbills and woodpeckers. Time to start saving. Daryl has devoted the last 30 years of his life to researching, protecting and educating about urban birds. I wonder how he feels about the future of the world's birds.
1: So you have to have hope. And in fact, my next book is going to be subtitled Stories of Hope from the Anthropocene. We will change our behaviour and do things when we care about things. So my current mission... And what I hope is a lot of people who work in this field is to instill a much stronger feeling of how we are part of nature, we're not separate from nature. And so those creatures that we call birds are like us, they depend on our world. We have to do everything that we possibly can for them to survive because we need to survive along with them. We need to get completely away from this, humans are separate to nature. And I think that was that, that thing that I started with, the idea that somehow humans in cities were the anathema, you were the opposite of nature. That's just complete rubbish. We have an urban ecosystem where humans live in, in cities, but it's still an ecosystem. We have been greatly influenced it, but it's still a place where we can live. What about the air we breathe, the, the food we eat, the clothes we wear, the cars we drive isn't part of natural, you know, it isn't nature. It's all derived from resources on this planet. And the quicker we get to realise that, then we will change. So people are much more likely to do things about changing the way we live when they realise there's a really good reason for it. And the reason is, you know, our survival and the survival of the other creatures that we share the planet with.
0: They are some wise words from Daryl Jones. Friends, I'm so stoked that you and I got to hear Daryl share his stories and his smarts. We learned about urban ecology, Daryl's new book, which you can win on Instagram, the blackface cuckoo shrike, birding in Kuala Lumpur, Wallace's line, and the concept of not separating humans from nature. What an action-packed episode. Thanks, Daryl. I'd also like to thank Mark Anderson for his recording of the blackface cuckoo shrike. Mark continues to generously gift his recordings to us so that we can develop our bird-listing skills. And finally, Thanks to everyone who's recently taken the time to send me a message or left a review on Apple Podcasts. It really means a lot because it's kind of weird doing a podcast. I send episodes out into the world and hope everyone enjoys it. So I'm so glad you're enjoying it. Next week is very special. It's the 50th episode of Weekend Birder and we have an awesome guest returning to the pod to talk about birds with personality. Speak to you then.